From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? This week, it is Goal Own Goal, featuring the man himself, Roger, the human own goal, Mitchell. Rog, come in, mate. How are you? I'm very good. Where are you, my friend? I am very briefly in South Carolina before going on my travels again to all sorts of places, uh, including at uh, some point on my next trip, believe it or not, Lake Como. Oh, really? Before September? No, no, this trip will last until September. So, oh, right. Okay, so, perfect. So I'm going to be perfect. on the road for quite some considerable amount of time. But I do get to hang out with you and a bunch of other people that I'm looking forward to see. So it's uh, it's not all bad, Rog. You are always on your travels. You need to slow down a little bit, Grant. You really uh, do. Yeah, I've messed my knee up, so I think life is starting to take care of that for me, Rog. I suspect I'll be hobbling around at some point and confined to barracks. But until then... It's a big wide world out there and there's plenty of things to do and plenty of people to see, so I shall I shall carry on until I come That's anymore. true. That's true. Anyway, my man, it's that time again. And last time I was incredibly rude and went first, so this week I'm going to do what I usually do and be a gentleman and let you go first. What do you got for me? Mm, what have I got? Well, I think we should start with we're right at the sharp end of the football season, so we'll get finals coming up. And um, the goal I would put forward is that Italy has got three teams in these finals, one in each final, which is very interesting, actually, you know, because I don't believe in that narrative that says, oh, Italian football is back. And I I think these are a little bit, you know, one-offs, outliers. If you go through them, you know, Inter Milan is perhaps the best example of a club that is going to be hit very badly when it needs to refinance next year. It's um, losing a lot of money. It's got a good squad, good players, a couple of really interesting players like Lautaro and Barella. They're in the final. They got a relatively easy run through to the final. You know, the the, the interesting thing about Inter, of course, well, this would be my goal. It's not really about the three teams from Italy because, as I say, I don't think that's the story. I think that's a little bit misleading, even although I do enjoy it. They had five in the semifinals, so maybe I'm wrong to not uh, correlation and causation. But (laughs) when something like this happens in Italy, all hell breaks loose, Grant, about getting to finals. Yeah. So I've got a couple of examples for you here. And I've mentioned this chap before. He's the Speaker of the House, uh, number two uh, in rank institutionally in Italy, Ignazio La Russa, famously ex-fascist, uh, never has hidden that. Uh, one of the real Is there any character. such thing as an ex-fascist, Rog? Well, that. he would say there is, <laughs> as, would, uh, as, as would Meloni, who's a now re- the Prime Minister. A reinvented Minister. fascist, perhaps. Yeah, there's this one. There's this one great scene from him in Italian TV about from 10, 15 years ago when he's at one of these um, rallies or something like that. And there's a cameraman putting a mic under him saying, you know, like, can you comment on this? And he's literally stamping behind on his feet, stamping, like kicking him really, really badly. And he's shouting at the top of his voice, this journalist is molesting me, he's molesting me, he's a pedophile. And it's him that's kicking the journalist. 
<laughs> this is all on camera. You can look this up. So as the way the world goes now with politics, he is now number two in the constitution of Italy. He's the head of, I think it's the Senate. It might be the other one. I'm not sure. But the point is he is a big Inter Milan fan. And there's been a big scandal this week because he casually put out a, a communique, which in itself is bizarre that he would put this on paper, just shows the hubris that's around, that says to all the members of parliament and the staff that he is working tirelessly to get the best conditions possible for tickets for Istanbul. Everybody in the Inter Milan club in the Italian parliament can write to him and uh, apply for, for a ticket that he has secured at the best possible conditions. <laughs> and, 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 and <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it is crazy. You see this thing he wrote it's in Italian, it doesn't really translate. But, you know, he's super proud of this. He's super proud that he's got the connections and the ability to secure for what is 200 people, 40 MPs and 150 staff, uh, everything you can imagine. And of course, the Inter Milan hardcore fans are just not happy, Grant. They are just really, because <laughs> they can't get any tickets. They're maybe going to get a couple of hundreds, you know, and they go to every game. They've got the season tickets. It's um, That's football for you, I guess. Yeah, right. But you know, it's nice to find, Rog, a place where football and political corruption can meet in a friendly, harmless way. Seamlessly. You can advertise. Seamlessly. <laughs> 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 I mean, let, let me let, let I mean, let me uh, let me let me say it's as I said the, the phrases being used are um, he's personally spending his political capital to get you the best conditions possible, uh, dear friends. In light of the final of Istanbul, Presidente Ignazio La Russia has been working intensely to obtain you the very best of conditions. I mean, this guy's got work to do. <laughs> yeah. This guy's. Got I think we can put the appropriate uh, quotation marks around the word work here, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's well in that category of today's breed of politician. But I want to link it to the other final, Roma, which obviously has got Mourinho and, you know, he has enlightened and just really made that city and that club, uh, you know, everything that Mourinho does to a club. And um, the big story, the big story in Italy this week is around Marta. You may not have heard Marta. Marta is a, a biology student who is graduating this month. And she went on to a very famous TV show to complain that her old man has declared very clearly that he will not be at the graduation because he is going, in this case, to Budapest for the final of Roma. And... <laughs> and of course, this has filled the airwaves for a week. Why else do you would expect that it would only be one way? It's not. It's like 50-50. There's a lot of folk, you know, like serious folk saying, the father is the right guy. He should be celebrated. He is a true fan and he's going to support his club. She never saw it that way. And I'll give you an example of, you know, some of the, the, the stuff that's been out here on this because as only can happen in Rome, everybody's not sure that Marta even exists. You know, <laughs> only in Italy. Nobody has ever seen Marta. 
They went to her university to see if there indeed was graduation ceremonies on the 31st of May. And apparently there isn't. The father also um, can't be traced down. And the, the editorials are super funny now because like, I'll give you an example here. They're saying, why do we believe this? Why do we think this is possible? Answer, because it is absolutely possible. This is the power of football. I'm reading now. For example, let's take Piero, who is about to become the father of twins. And he has asked for the cesarean to be anticipated two days to Monday the 29th, which is today. So, you know, even if Marta doesn't exist, the point is still the same one. Let's look at Manuele. This article goes through. I won't go through them all, but there's loads of these examples. This is Manuele who got married 10 days ago and has managed to postpone the start of his honeymoon until well after the final. He explained, my wife understands. At the end of the day, I said to her, I'm going to the game. I'm not off with my lover. (laughs) Because that is a great excuse. Oh man, you have to you have to understand Italian football, Roger, to get it. Yeah, I was at the semi final with um, with a really good friend of mine. Yes, I saw um, some pictures. Yeah, Fabio, he won't mind me telling this story because uh, he, since 2010 he's lived with this situation. 2010 was the year Mourinho took Inter to the final and, and, and absolutely won it. And in those days I had still enough contacts. This was before the podcast, before I ruined every one of my relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I had contacts at UEFA and I and I had got him tickets, you know, him and, he, and his mates and everything like that. They're what big Inter fans. And uh, he didn't go. He couldn't go, according to him, because his wife was eight months pregnant and, and it could have happened any day. And he called it's, himself a football fan. Yeah, it's, thir- <laughs> it's 13 years he's been living this down, you know. Uh, and of course, I was with him the other night, as you saw, and the second child was at the game and uh, has become quite an aggressive Inter Milan fan. So like, we were driving back home <laughs> and I said, so Fabio, um, at least this time you'll go to the final, no? And he kind of looks at me like strange as if to say, stop the conversation right now. <laughs> right. So, like, I knew it was coming. I said, don't tell me, Fabio, what is it this time? He says, um, <laughs> my wife booked us to go to Japan. <laughs> oh, no. And the boy in the back seat went fucking ballistic. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Fabi, once, fill me once, shame on Yeah, exactly right. Does the son know that his dad made the ultimate sacrifice for him? Not really. I don't think he's talked about too much. It's one of these dagger wins that he prefers to avoid. Um, Yeah. Oh man, so he's not going to make it. And of course, well, look, I said, look, at least these days, you know, with the phones and the streaming, you'll be able to watch it. And he said, the flight is exactly due to the game. (laughs) Oh man, that's brutal. That is brutal. But, you know, as you say, football has got this power grant. You know, like that's one of the things that, you know, I was just thinking about this week. I'm going to make that the article next week. Just... The power of football is just unbelievable. There's, I don't think there's anything else like it. 
You know what Rochester there isn't? And that's basically was one of my goods this week was exactly that, the power of football. You know, this time of the year, this point in the season is always a time when all the emotional beauty of football is on display. And, um, you know, we talked about briefly on the uh, when we were doing the groundsman piece last week, we talked briefly about that Sheffield Wednesday, Peterborough. I'm not sure if you saw the highlights. I sent you the link. I don't know if you watched it. You, you also put it that. in your financial news oh, letter was, but, at the end. But you saw it, right? <laughs> Of course, I saw it. Of I mean, course, it was I saw magnificent. It, yeah. it was magnificent. That crowd, absolutely magnificent. But through the playoffs, you know, we've seen an awful lot of stuff in these playoffs to get to Wembley finals, which are all going on this weekend. We saw the Luton Coventry game. I don't know if you saw that. I was actually listening oh, yeah, to it on amazing. the radio as I was driving uh, on Saturday. A penalty Old school. Shoot out. Um, listening to it on amazing. the wireless. Just phenomenal. You know, and, and so to have Luton Town and that ground back in the Premier League, I think is just. It's just fantastic. And obviously, friend of the show, Gary Sweet, who came on, hopefully we'll get him back on again to talk about where he is now. Because that's a good idea. One of the guests I thought was 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 so impressive in, in terms of understanding. I know you'll hate this, but there was a line in Ted Lasso last week where um someone said, you know, just because we own these football clubs, they don't belong to us. You know, and that was very much Gary Sweet's yeah, yeah. view yeah, yeah. on Luton. And I think it's so true. And you see it in the stands all across the country this weekend. You know, the title race was done and dusted, but there's only ever so much emotion in that because it's only ever between two teams. And um, generally speaking, apart from the Aguero uh, game back at QPR all those years ago, they don't tend to go down to the final day of the season. They're normally wrapped up a week or maybe two before. Yeah. But relegation, it always pulls in more than two clubs. It's always... A yo-yo. It's always a roller coaster on that final day. And again, you know, we saw it this year. There weren't Yesterday. that many twists and turns. There were just like kind of two major flips when Leicester went ahead and we're out of the relegation zone. And then when Everton went ahead and they pushed Leicester back in. But just watching the fans, you know, just watching the cameras panning through these crowds and seeing. I, I what said it this. I said this to Rafael, and we had a, another person here, who, and I was saying to him, I said, look comes up 10 minutes extra time at Goodison. Uh, and I said, we all, all of us who have got a football background need to feel for these Everton fans now. They are going through hell at this moment, 10 minutes injury time. Yeah. And like, you know, I was watching it, you know, I just thought this is amazing. And Grant, that's why, you know how two weeks ago I did the thing about Leicester themselves and, you know, do we want to grasp uh, relegation because we have to sort this out. When I was watching all these games, you know, the the Wednesday game, the Luton game, Everton yesterday, uh, and then I'll come back to another one later. I was thinking, right, that's the way it has to be. We're going to have to accept relegation and promotion as part of our DNA so how do we make that sustainable? Because today it's not working. And that's what I'm going to write about on Sunday. You know, I'll I see if I can find a way to make that work without all the carnage that it's been creating for football for 30 years now. The gap's too big between up and down, bankrupt yourself trying to get there. So that's what I'm going to write about. But I was just thinking, Grant, as well, you know, what you're talking about, the fans. And I don't know whether you felt it, And I don't know whether it was because it was two clubs like Coventry and Luton, but I just felt it reeking of community and working class community and the way football used to be. 
And, and, you know, I don't know whether you saw that article about Irving Welsh at the weekend about, you know, where does the working class lad now sit in this confused world? And, you know, he was referring to the importance of football. I think football is going to get more important for that demographic as politics, you know, a lot of kids used to get involved in labour and, and, and politics, and but they, that's all messed up now. I think football and the local team, I think there's a chance that it comes back with a bang in terms of its importance for each community. Yeah, look, I think there's there's so much in there, Ross, to talk about, right? I mean, there's um, this idea of these clubs being at the heart of the communities is so true. And you see that in the Luton story, you've seen it in the Wrexham story. And the, and the Wrexham story has been great because it's given people a window into what these clubs mean to their communities that perhaps they didn't have. And, and I think that brings us back to this promotion relegation because, you know, I remember us talking about Sunderland Till I Die uh, when that series came out on Netflix, which anybody listening that hasn't seen it, I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you want to understand what this is all about, I, I think there's no better representation of that, Rod, simply because you saw yeah. what yeah. it meant to the fans to go down. You saw how utterly disgusted and dejected they were with everything. And then the first episode of season two, you see how excited they are to get back through the turnstiles. You know, it doesn't matter. It matters in the moment. It's life and death in the moment. But you're there the next year supporting your team. And so you're absolutely right. There has to be a way to figure out. I mean, they've tried to do it with the parachute payments. Doesn't work. But they have to find a way because without that jeopardy, without what we saw on on Sunday in the Premier League and without what we saw on Saturday in the in the Championship playoff final and without what I guarantee we'll see today in the next playoff final, it loses... Not everything, Roger, but it loses so much of its meaning and it loses so much of what connects this game, these clubs to their community. You know, Luton, to go from non-league football to the Premier League in nine seasons is phenomenal. Astonishing. It's absolutely phenomenal. And more power to them. And look, if they can find a way to stay up next year, the odds are going to be heavily against them. But if they can find a way to stay up next year, scrap and claw and scrape and stay in the Premier League, I mean, what a wonderful story that would be. But if it isn't, you know what? If they end up getting smashed every week next year and they finish bottom of the table, I guarantee you the stadium will be full every week and it will be full every week the next year in the championship because there is that connection. And so removing that jeopardy and ending up with these meaningless games that you see in Major League Baseball and the NBA and the NFL with these teams that are done for the season halfway through. You're going too far now. You're going too far now, mate. What do you mean? No, I've come a long long way with your thesis, but it's not as simple as that. I was going to talk all about this on today's GOG, but I thought this is so complex, I need to put it down on paper. You know, if you look at, let's take a Derby County, right? They missed the final of the playoff. Don't know when it was, a couple of years ago, maybe a wee bit more. And they went into all kinds of hell, administration, every carpetbagger in their uncle uh, looking at them. You're right, Grant, but you can only do this if you can make the industry sustainable. You can't just say, oh, that's the glory of our sport. That, you know, come oh, what I totally may. agree. I totally well, agree with that. Right, so there's a, it's really complex. It was one of those things I almost woke up in the middle of the night because I did have a weekend of seeing... 
uh, you know, a moment saying, okay, right, everybody wants relegation. You know, this is our sport. The Arab owners, they, they are not bothered about that kind of stuff. It's not their thing. The Americans, they, they don't get it. We all get it. It's, this is amazing. Look at the beauty of this. And I started thinking, what do you need to do to make this sustainable? And a lot of things need to change, Grant. A lot of things need to change. And if you allow me, I'll try and get it down on paper for Sunday uh, because it's complex. You no, know, the uh, yeah, it is. And, and you know, we've, we've talked around this for such a long time and I, and I know how much you think about this and it is important. So let's, let's park this and we'll, we can talk about this next time once you've written that down because I'd rather give you the time and the space to think it through and write it down and give us something to discuss. Otherwise, we're going to end up having the same conversation we've had so many times. No, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Before we leave relegation, of course, you may have seen Hamburg. Did you see the Hamburg story? No, I didn't. Oh, um, if ever the word schadenfreude was to be used... Doesn't it, me, isn't it they left back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's an old, old joke. <laughs> but they've got, it's still really good. It's just like de- delayed reaction there. That is a funny joke. So, Schadenfreude, Rangers, Glasgow Rangers are kind of like twinned with Hamburg, you know, and you see Glasgow Rangers banners at every Hamburg game. They're in the second division of Germany now. For those that are of our generation and remember them getting to European Cup finals, getting beaten by Nottingham Forest and things like that. Hamburg has been struggling. So, the usual thing, you know, they were home to come up. They won their game. Their game finished and the fans invaded because the other team needed a win and was 1-0 down into extra time. So the Hamburg fans did the usual, invaded the pitch, all the celebrations, all the cameras, everybody happy. You know what happened. You know what happened. The other team did scores two late goals. So, so all this fan base on the pitch, you know, like if you want to see a cold shower in action, Google <laughs> Hamburg missing promotion. Well, there you Glorious. go. I mean, there, that's it. Glorious. There you go. How, how amazing is that? It is amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. And you're, you're right. You're right. I believe the phrase is bloody football, eh? Bloody football. <laughs> bloody football, eh? Yeah. So, like, uh, what have you got for me after bloody football? Well, I want to touch on there's one place where you and I intersect and actually cross over when it comes to romanticism of sport and practicalities of sport and that is our old friend the Monaco Grand Prix um, yes. where you know I've decried the fact that it's the worst Grand Prix of the calendar it's never any fun there's no overtaking it's incredibly boring except for the party part of it which you know so what and you know again Roger another boring Monaco Grand Prix except for a little bit of late rain which caused something but Verstappen wins from pole by 30 seconds but it was interesting to me, I noticed a dramatic uptick in the amount of negative press coverage about the Monaco Grand Prix yeah. Uh, yeah. and how boring it yeah. is and how yeah. you know, questioning its place in the calendar. Something has started there, I suspect, that may be transformational and the Monaco Grand Prix may come under pressure. Do you think that will happen or not? Listen, I, I watched uh, the race with my daughter's boyfriend who's really into motorsports and um, he's actually going to go to Williams for a sabbatical next year. Um, he's an engineer. He, he knows all about this stuff. And so we were having this conversation here. This is obviously a Formula One family. Rafael, I used to work in Formula One. And, you know, he was saying to me that, you know, in Formula E and indeed, you know, Formula Two, there is a lot of overtaking in that track. It is possible. 
And I said, well, why doesn't it happen in Formula One? And he went into all this technical thing about, you know, the cars are different. There's much more downdraft. These other categories, all the cars are the same, more or less. So I think to answer your question, I think Formula One's got to look at something here with Monaco um, because it's not working the way it should be as a two-hour product. But Monaco is, think about it as branding. You know, think about it not so much as the race itself. Think about it as the, you know, a kind of like stylist runway show of the most bizarre and, you know, hippest kind of like clothes that nobody would ever wear in the high street. But, you know, they're then using that to create a brand where they sell key rings to people and things like that. I do believe Monte Carlo Grand Prix is essential to the Formula One vibe. Um, that doesn't mean they, they, they shouldn't take lessons from the other categories that, that do allow overtaking. Well, all right, Monaco aside, what else you got for me, my man? Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about was what we discussed on the groundsman, Michael Block, remember? Ah, yes, 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 good. I'm glad you brought this up. This is one of mine this week. Yes, so where you go. Have at it. Well, you know, you were giving it the usual romantic thing, isn't this the story? And, I, <laughs> and it was. Remember? Yeah, but you always fall for this, man. You always fall for this. You know, like uh, sport does this <laughs> I to knew people. you were going to do this. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Well, I mean, like how long did it take? 24 hours? 48 hours? No, 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 that's not fair. 72. <laughs> <laughs> If I was 30 yards longer, I would be as good as Rory. That's one hell of a leap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go on. I'll let you go first. That's it. That's all I've got on it. Oh, that's Grant. it. Well, yeah, look, I mean, let, let, let's, let's talk about that. For people that didn't see it, you know, that after Michael Block's performance at the PGA, which was phenomenal. I mean, what he did there was extraordinary and, and fair play to him and how he did it and, you know, the way he handled all the attention, he was Faultless, absolutely faultless. Flawless with the media, flawless with the the crowd, uh, as close to flawless on the golf course as he could be. It was just, it it was a a Cinderella week, you know. And so he gets the invite to the Schwab down in Colonial in Fort Worth, Texas. And, you know, he gets a sponsor's exemption. We see the call on social media, he's in tears, you know. I'm going to have to ask my boss for a week off so I can go and play in the tournament. Fantastic. Then we see the talk about the, this course is perfect for him. You know, it's it's not as hard as Oak Hill, but it plays to his strengths <laughs> off the tee and yada, yada, yada. Everyone's getting all fired up as they do. Um, now, don't get me wrong, Rog, my romantic streak did not for a second expect him to do anything crazy. That's I, fair. I, I That's fully fair. expected him to That's miss fair. the cut. But, you know, before the off, before the, the first day's play started, this conversation emerges on social media in a podcast where, as you say, He's there saying, oh, yeah, no, I, what I learned playing Rory, if, if I was hitting my second shot from where he is, you know, I'm, I don't think he said I'm top 30 in the world, but he said I'm, I'm world-class from there, world-class, absolutely. And there was there was a hubris and an arrogance to it that you could, and I, I tweeted this to you and I, I just said, and the bill finally comes to you for the hubris because, you know, look, lovely guy though he seems to be, you're not Rory McIlroy, Rory McIlroy from where he plays. He, Rory drives it 20 yards further than you, 25 yards further than you maybe, 50 when he hits a real ripper. And so, you know, what, but what was interesting to me, Rod, was to see how quickly, once that emerged, how quickly all the people who were behind him were like, oh, he's another one of those guys, you know? And it just, more than Michael Block, it just reinforced to me what a toxic thing hubris and ego are in the sporting world. You can be 
a great champion. You could be Rory McIlroy and be someone that the fans are behind because you don't start talking about how great you are. You don't start talking about how I'm owed this, I deserve this, I deserve that, you know? Rory's always talking in a very different way about, you know, either how disappointing he is or how he needs to work harder. Um, you know, there's a humility to Rory that people absolutely connect with. And, you know, later this week, I sent you another piece um, on Twitter, which was um, uh, another Michael Jordan story. And Michael Jordan is yes. the opposite of the humility, right? Michael Jordan was always the guy. There are countless stories about Michael Jordan being the great trash talker, being the great guy saying, you know, you don't deserve to belong on the court with me. But, man, he backed it up every single time. The and there was a story there from LeBradford Smith, a Washington Bullets guy who, you know, in a playoff game that um, the Bulls lost to the Washington Bullets back in, I forget what year it was, um, I, f- I forget the year. But LeBradford Smith gets a career high, 37 or 39. Jordan has a poor day, only scores 27. And, you know, the, the beauty of this story was the press are all on LeBradford Smith and he is saying, don't tell him. <laughs> the press are saying, this is your career high, career high, this and that, this and that. And all the players, oh, LeBradford Smith is actively saying to the press, please don't report this, please don't report this. And, of course, you know, word gets back to Jordan and he says in the last dance documentary, he made up a slight from LeBradford Smith. Yes. But he said, give me the ball, I'm going to score what he scored in the first half just to put him in his place. And damn it, if he didn't get within one point, he missed a free throw uh, as the half expired and finished one shy of the Bradford Smith total in the first half. Basically sits out most of the second half, of the game's in the bag. And that's how you do hubris, right? That's how you do it. You psych yourself up, you tell people how good you are, and then you know what? You go out and prove you're the best who ever played the game. And it was fascinating to me to see hubris done right and hubris done wrong. Because when it's done right and it isn't hubris, man, it's so it's so impressive. It's almost chilling to watch and to listen to. Mm. But when you see it the other way around, people who uh, you know, who I think you wrote something about the gods touching these people briefly and then leaving them to fall. It's sad. It's disappointing. It's all those things, right? You just think, you know, if you'd have kept your mouth shut and done it on the course and perform well this week, let the other people tell you how good you are. You don't need to tell people. Let the fans and Grant the press tell very, you how good you are. It's, it's, very, it's a very complex conversation, Grant, uh, that goes beyond sport, in my opinion. You know, I've noticed... Of uh, I, I've noticed that, you know, I'm nearly 60 now, so you've got a lot of data points to look back on. I completely believe today, looking back, that self-belief and confidence is a major differentiator in performance. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that works in the office, that works in a dating environment. You know, women like confident men. They don't like people that are, oh, I'm not sure, all this kind of stuff. Confidence is a winning attribute. The challenge is that it's a width of a credit card away from arrogance. And nobody likes arrogance unless you can really back it up 100% and then it becomes Michael Jordan orgasmic, you know. So it's really difficult, again, with experience, to pitch yourself as confident, self-aware, you know, you'll not drop the ball and draw it short of being arrogant when you know that you can't pull off the Michael Jordan 100% 
backing it up. I think it's one of the most complex things. And I think it's especially a male thing, whether you call it alpha male or whether you call it just being able to hang out with the guys and hold yourself correctly. Confidence is important and doing it and not messing it up is so hard because as I said, I did tweet this to you, the gods seem to take great pleasure in letting you think you're better than you are just to like pull the rug from under your feet. But Rog, confidence is just performing and being confident in the fact that everyone can see a good job. Look, I mean, Tiger wasn't a trash talker ahead of Tiger never talked himself up. But you know that great story about Stephen Ames in the world match play? Do you remember this story? I do not. So back in 2000, which was probably the greatest year in anyone's ever played uh, a year of golf. Tiger was unstoppable. That's when he won the US Open at Pebble Beach by 15 shots. He was 12 under. Guy in second place was three over, which is still the most dominant performance of anything I've ever seen in, in my life. Yeah. So Stephen Ames gets drawn against Tiger in the WGC World Match Play. This is in um, 2006. This is six years later, right? And in 2000, Ames said, and I quote, he doesn't look like he has enough respect for other players. Tiger's coming across as bigger than the game. He's a spoiled 24-year-old. If I was in his position, I'd be more considerate, right? This is in 2000, when Tiger is, is just battering everybody. So six years later, they play each other in a head-to-head match play. Tiger beats him nine and eight. <laughs> nine and eight. They shake hands on the 10th hole if you can imagine such a drubbing at the professional level. Tiger is absolutely, you've never seen anything like it, I'll send you a link to the highlights. And all Tiger said afterwards was, I think he understands now, right? That is confidence. That's confidence. You don't start slagging off who the hell does Stephen Ames think he is before the thing. You wait for your opportunity, you go head to head, you embarrass him like, no one at that level of golf has been embarrassed in a match play situation. And you just say, I think he understands now. That's it. It's just, it's crushing. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I get that, Grant. But what I'm saying is that there's an element of chicken and egg and cause and effect, I believe. You know, there's that famous vignette, you know, what does it, what does it say? Let me interrupt your expertise with my confidence. Something like that. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. You know the one I mean? You know the yeah, one I mean? No, I know exactly I, I, what I mean. And I've just, I've just seen it with guys dating. I've seen a guys walking into a meeting room. You know, you come in and you look confident. People will give you more of a break than if you come in shuffling your papers, you know, eyes down, you know, and, and speaking meekly. And, you know, that's it's just one of the things that I can't work out, you know, this cause and effect thing. I just see it and it absolutely exists. And so much so, and like, forgive me, but, you know, it's just you and me speaking here. When you've got a, a child, when you've got a son and you're trying to like see how they're getting on and everything like that, you know, you look for some things and you see if they're the right line of that confidence arrogance thing. And we won this um, fantasy thing again this year. That's the second year in a row, you know. But I look back at, uh, we started relatively poorly this year and I tweeted something to Luca saying, you know, are we going to do okay here? Because like, I don't want to lose this thing. I, I, I need to win it again. <laughs> you know, sad, man. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, don't enter it if you don't think you're going to win it. You know, like, just don't enter it. And that was the pact. Before we did it this year, I said, look, you've got your final year, Luca. Can you de- dedicate the time? Because I don't feel it been second. We won it last year. He said, yeah, you're fine. So like, we start badly and I say to him, you know, how are we doing here? 
you know, brackets, are you fucking this up? I told you, I, I want to win this. And he says, we are good. We know how this film ends. Now, so where do you put that? The fact that that's confidence or arrogance or, you know, what's the order there? I think this is one of the most fascinating conversations for masculinity in our age now. It's so hard to pitch it right. So, well, you know, here's the, here's the, here's the yeah. differentiating factor to me, Rog. Right? Okay, on you go. I think. I think that was a response to a question from you. Luca didn't come in dancing and screaming and going, oh, we're going to piss this. This is all over. You questioned him. You challenged him. And he said, we're good, right? It's a response. That's confidence. Hubris is ringing you up and saying, here, you know we're at the bottom now. You know we're going to win this. That's hubris. Well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, Grant. But I mean, like, the point is, I want to come back to Block, right? You know, because of at the start, I made a bit of a joke that you, the romantic thing. I've got all the sympathy in the world for Block. Oh, I do too. You've got to, like... I could have seen myself making that mistake. I, w- I want to bring it on to a couple of other things that were in the same theme that I had for this week. Um, one is still in golf. And I know you saw this and some people would be surprised that this is a segue, but I think it is a good segue. One of the supporters of Block was that girl, Paige Spiriak. Is that her yep. name? Now, Paige Spiriak, uh, apart from who she is today, was a very promising uh, female golfer wonderful swing, did really well, who openly admits that the pressure just, she couldn't handle the pressure. She collapsed, she choked, she would what the Americans call a bottler. She reinvents herself as this kind of like um, Instagram, kind of like sexy, you know, have a look at my swing, but you know, she's dressed the way she is. And, you know, she supported him. And I think she's genuine. You know, a lot of people give this girl a hard time because she's playing that vamp thing. She's not the first to do that, by the way. She's played the vamp thing. But at the end of the day, she said, you know, like, uh, he got it wrong, you know. And and I like this girl. The thing I like about this girl, Paige, is that she's self-aware and self-ironic. And I think that is a lot more sexy than her having her assets out. I think she's a very interesting personality. See, I would agree with you. I think that's exactly right, Rog. But there, there we go, right? We come back to confidence, humility, and and the self-deprecation. You know, the video that she released this week, which, which was... Stripper look, pool, it was yeah. A, it was a way to advertise her site, Only Page, right? Which is a rip-off of OnlyFans, which, again, is funny. And yeah. posing herself of, you know, making fun of all the comments she gets in the tweets about, oh, are you sure you're not a stripper instead of a golfer? The way she turned that around on people, that... That's how you do it, right? Yeah. You take you take that ammunition, you play with it, you make it, but you don't get upset, you don't get angry, you use it and you feed off it. And she did that absolutely brilliant. I thought that was flawless what she did. And I, I have a, a, a newfound respect for her for that. I told you about her um, from the start that she was she was something interesting. Yeah, no, no, look, absolutely. I, I, I get it, but it was one-dimensional to me, right? It was very one-dimensional. It was, as you said, oh, look well, at my golf swing. two-dimensional in this right? case. <laughs> Fine. But it was was very one-dimensional. What what she did this week, to me, showed a lot more savvy, a lot more smarts, and the kind of humility and self-deprecation that makes all the other stuff much smarter. Acceptable, yes, acceptable, everything. Much smarter. smarter. You you, you realise that it's not, there's a second and third layer to what you're doing that is rooted in self-deprecation and, and, and using what you have in a, in a way that isn't, look at what I have, it's, you know, 
look at what you think I have and here's what it's really all about. I, I thought it was great. And, and, and you're it right, she great. did support Block. And uh, I think she did the right thing coming out in favour of him. And as I say, I'm a much, much bigger fan of hers after watching that kind of spoof documentary video than I was before it because I think that, yeah. that's a whole new layer. Yeah. Uh, the other one in the same theme, our old friend Tebas at the La Liga, he's the, the chief executive oh, yeah. of La Liga. Well, no, Tebas, uh, people probably will know this, uh, for the last decade, he has been extremely vocal, attacking everybody, really from a pulpit, like a fire and brimstone old preacher. Uh, he's two big clubs. Uh, he's always having a go at them. He's, he's always at loggerheads with his FA. Uh, he had a go at the Super League. Since he was on more or less the populist side of all of these arguments, he started getting this halo effect. Tebas is the one that knows. Tebas is the, the kind of leader we need in this industry. Tebas is the future of football. Hubris. Vinicius, the Real Madrid player, for the umpteenth time this year gets violently racially abused at a league game, reacts, he gets sent off. Just horrendous, grand, yeah, yeah, horrendous yeah. stuff, horrendous. Tebis comes out with this really awful, talk about bad takes, you know, uh, or, you, or more or less, you know, I've told you a thousand times what we can and we can't do. You need to put, and I can't remember exactly, I don't want to put words into it. so important, I don't want to misquote him. But, you know, basically didn't have a lot of sympathy for the lad. And the whole world unloaded on Tebas. You know, he he opened his side to his weakest flank. The weakest flank in Spanish football, in some ways as it is with Italian football, is that they're not up to speed with racism yet they accept it too lightly and he just played into that and a lot of people that had been getting criticism from Tebis over the last decade they just put the boot in and put it in really hard and he had yeah and he had to you know come out with all kinds of like you know second day apologies you know I'm going to do this I'm going to do that too late, mate. You want to play the guy in the glass house, you know, make sure you're squeaky clean. Don't make an error like that. And that was yeah. a really bad error. Yeah, no, look, I mean, rightly so. If, that's, if that was his attitude, then he deserves all the takedowns, frankly, because it was sickening what happened to Vinny. He's an unbelievable talent. And, uh, you know, it's tough in the moment for the refs to play and understand the sympathy of his actions and not send him off. You know, of course, they kind of had to send him off, but it's you would think retrospectively there'd be something that could be done in terms of mitigating circumstances. But, it, you know, it's much bigger than one red card. It's a real problem in Spanish football, and it has been for a long time, Roger. And there's been so much coverage about this racism since that event. I don't know if it means anything will get done, because I don't know, if, frankly, if anything can be done. But it's shocking. I mean, it really is shocking. Yeah, Spanish football's got challenges. It's just it's completely ripped apart. That's why I never liked him being wholly under now, you know, when his back garden was full of just complete, you know, uh, uh, disagreements and everything like that. Yeah. Um, have you got anything else, mate? I've got a couple well, of other wee small things. Can I, I, I've got one more, which I want, to, um, I want to ask you if I can interest you in um, the Savannah Bananas. Have you, uh, are you aware of the Savannah Bananas? <laughs> yes, yes, I did see that. Now, we, now, we've talked about this intersection between entertainment and sport, right? And I, I, I honestly don't know where I come down on this because the Savannah Bananas, 
The closest thing I can think of is a is like a Harlem Globetrotters type team. They're a baseball team from Savannah, Georgia, not far from where I am now. They have six million followers on TikTok, which is more than every single other franchise in Major League Baseball, as well as amazing, isn't actually it? Actually, every team in the NFL, NBA, and NHL. I, I don't know how to describe it, Rod. Novelty baseball? I, I don't know. Right? It's a if you if you go and look at them on TikTok and stuff, you'll see clips of batsmen with baseball bats on fire that are swinging. There's a guy who plays on stilts. He pitches from stilts, runs the bases on stilts. They do like you know TikTok like dance routines. It's basically a sports team that is just made for social media, and they've got some good players there. And they're trying to come up with a hybrid way to play exhibition games, or do they have a league and you know, I, I, as much as the fans love this, when I was thinking about this, can you imagine if they made a league out of this? And so every team has to be wackier than the next team. It would be like, you know, one of these, it's just a whole load of clowns auditioning for a role. Well, you know? well Grant, I know, I, just, I know and, it's, I, and it's the complete opposite of where we started this conversation. I know. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, what you talk about, make a league out of this, there is a league, it's called the King's League in football or five-a-side football, whatever you want yes, to call it. Yes. You? Now, you know, and we heard uh, Mark Watts talk about all of this. Yeah. And I keep saying this, you know, I just get pulled back and forward all the time because, you know, I, I can, I, it's like I wrote at the weekend, I, content is content. It makes money or it doesn't make money. And if you get snobby about it, it probably usually gets you into confused thinking. I don't know what the answer is, Grant, but just letting all this drift and hoping it all ends up at the right place is not what, what I call leadership. Leadership is grasping the nettle and saying, where does that bit fit in and to whom? And where does Luton Coventry and, you know, the Luton Stadium, you still have to walk through people's back gardens to get to the turnstiles. And, you know, that's a completely different thing. And that's why we, we need to we need to talk about this because, you know, this is the last day of Jeff Stelling, right? And Jeff has got um, a history, I mean, superb broadcaster, probably the best of his generation. Yeah, but, you know, but he's, he's, he's got a history of, um, let's say, not wanting to move with the times and, and doubling down on that authentic stuff. I had a look at some of his best moments. He had the whole scrap VAR rant he had a similar rant about xg and the use of that kind of data <laughs> and then i found this one uh, forgive me a second but it is jeff sterling so we own this you know when they said that middlesbrough was the worst place to live in the <laughs> uk have you seen that have you seen that you remember it yeah right, so I, I just uh, uh, so he was on this rant obviously i can't do it justice in the northern accent the people that made up this, you know, these are the kind of people that only come north of Watford when they're going to the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> they think the north is full of coronation-type terraces and people like that. They buy skinny lattes and call mushy peas guacamole. The sort who go to India to some bearded bloke for some advice on relaxation. <laughs> They use their blackberries in the silent carriages of British Rail and they think Little Britain was funnier than the likely lads. Now, jokes aside, that is beautiful branding. You know, that is 
the way football used to be in principally northern towns that started it, Blackburn, Bolton, and industrial towns that were, you know, it was the working man's leisure time on a Saturday afternoon. Nobody wants that to go, least of all me, because I'm from one of those northern towns and I also come from one of those families. But when you tell me about the Savannah Bananas and I'm a businessman that works in this sector, your mind gets dragged over there, Grant. And, I, and I understand like, that. I understand that, Roger. But if the Savannah Bananas is the way that people decide to go, it will flame out. Because it's people are watching it now because it's different, it's new, and it's not what they're used to, right? It's not sustainable. You can't... Once you've seen a guy pitch on stilts, <laughs> uh, once you've seen a guy... And there's a picture in... There's an article in The Guardian. I think I posted it. Of, of a picture called Dakota Stilts All Britain, right? He's standing on stilts pitching. Once you've seen that, once, maybe twice... You tell me how much fun that is to watch that, right? It's just not. It just isn't because then the game is gone and it's not about the game. <laughs> and no matter what you say, ultimately yeah. people are attracted to the game. And so it's fine to have these novelty things. It's fine to have exhibition games. It's fine to have the Harlem Globetrotters. They've been going for, God knows, 75 years, I don't know, forever. All exhibition games. But that's one small part of it. And the struggle here, and it is the struggle, it's the struggle you and I go backwards and forwards with, it's the struggle that every one of those businessmen you just described has to figure out, how do I maintain the integrity of the game? Because the two things that Jeff Stelling was ranting in that you mentioned, the VAR and XG, are not fundamental changes to the game. They are attempts to to Use what? technology to help it. Yeah, right? That's what they are. They're not, they're not fundamental changes to the game. And that, I think, is the crux is how do you remain sensitive to the game, the integrity of the game, and increase the entertainment value of it? I have no idea. But if you think the answer is a picture on stilts, I'm telling you right <laughs> now that after seeing that a couple of times, you're going to go, oh, it's the stilt guy again. Right? Because <laughs> it's not baseball. Um, and baseball is to Americans what football is to Britons, right? It yeah. is that working-class, salt-of-the-earth game that everybody grows up playing. One of a catch, Dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you want to mess with that? I'm so convinced that you can only mess with it so far and then you're going to destroy it. And that's the I know that, that I know I that's know your that position. And, 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 and I neither do I, but I'm going to try awful hard to try and, and think about this more, especially on Sunday. But, I mean, it's not as if sport is the only thing that's struggling with this grant. We, we, we live in course. crazy times. We live yeah. in crazy... I mean, I wanted to ask you just to round up here because it's always great to get your view on this. I've spent a week, you know, on my timeline seeing what seems to be and this is just crazy if you step back a second. What seems to be the Republican candidate uh, for the presidency in some kind of video with Elon Musk. Elon is also apparently got something going on with AOC now. And like you've got NVIDIA that all of a sudden spikes up for no reason. Grant, can you put any of this into context about what... Because this is important stuff. This is the president. These are the capital markets. I can't make head or tail of it anymore. It's it's the Truman Show. 
It's well, it's bread and circuses, Rogers, what it is. And the whole thing has just become a circus, right? I mean, Elon Musk inserting himself in this thing is that's just what Elon Musk does. I'd rather nail my scrotum to a coffee table than spend any time talking about him, to be honest with you. Fair enough, um, fair enough. But talk about you know NVIDIA that. then, because but, that's, that's well, serious NVIDIA, capital. NVIDIA, look, NVIDIA is very simple. NVIDIA is everybody's reading about AI, and yeah. AI is the new thing, and AI is the big thing, and AI is where everything's going to go. And what passes for research these days is, oh, what does AI need? Chips. Oh, who makes the chips? NVIDIA. Right, let's buy NVIDIA then. But enough people do that thin due diligence, and here's what happens. You know, NVIDIA, I suspect, will probably correct 50% by the summer, by the end of the summer. It wouldn't surprise me at all, because that's what these things do. It's way overpriced, it's driven up by a frenzy, and it's irrational exuberance. So the world's just full of that now, and, and because of social media and because of the way these things can get amplified now much quicker, the extremes are much greater because it's much easier to suck in thousands and thousands of people with a tweet than it was back in 2000, the dot-com bubble. There was no way for these things to feed on themselves in the moment. You know, if, if you were watching CNBC, you could see that some of these tech stocks were going crazy and, and get pulled into it. But now you can be out walking the dog, right, checking your Twitter feed. You see that NVIDIA's going crazy and you log into your online app and you buy some shares. So it feeds upon itself to a much greater degree. It's the same thing, right? It's human nature doesn't change. It's greed, it's irrationality, and it, you know, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. But ultimately, will NVIDIA go higher? Very possibly. But I guarantee you there are all kinds of companies who are really involved in AI that no one's looking at because they can't be bothered to dig a little deeper than who makes the chips. That will be the long-term winners of the AI craze. You know, they're, they're selling for valuations that make far more sense than NVIDIA's. Yeah, you know, the thing that strikes me, Grant, you're right on all of that. When I was a young man, there was a massive amount of serious debate, research around are capital markets efficient or are they not efficient? And a lot of people said that they are efficient and if they're not, it's only temporarily. And since I've started, you know, trying to write this book thing, you know, you look back at this stuff and I just can't come to anything like a conclusion that markets are efficient now. It's inefficiency off the scales. And then you think, well, if that's the case, what does that mean for people trying to make good investments, trying to allocate capital correctly, and trying to, you know, set themselves out to be grown-ups as opposed to, as you've described, you know, knee-jerk, you know, Robin Hood users. I think that's a big issue if we can't rely on markets being efficient. Well, think about it. Markets were efficient. Because the people involved in setting the prices were rational actors whose business it was to be in the markets. That was their business. It wasn't yep. a fun hobby. It was a business. And so the markets were efficient. But the more you drag in people that are just speculating and gambling, humans are inefficient. <laughs> we all know human nature is the most capricious thing of all. So the more human nature you add to the mix that is not in there because it's a business, it's there for a bit of fun, to gamble, throw money at something, get rich quick, it by definition becomes inefficient. And that's where we are. That's just the reality of it. So the market isn't efficient and it won't be efficient again until all the inefficient actors lose all their money, which the market will find a way of taking it off them, Rog. That's just what the market does. Well, 
I know this isn't really for our podcast, but it is really because it's, our podcast is you and me. That's fine. But the more and more we have got into passive investing, that's algorithm based. That shouldn't have any human inefficiency grant, but it seems to just amplify the absurdities you're talking about. So that seems to be counterintuitive. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but also don't forget this works in the other direction. We just haven't seen it yet. So yes, you're right. You're right. And the way a lot of these are, and this is a conversation for another time, another day. There, most people don't want to listen to this, Roger. No. But no. Um, but I just, I actually just recorded a, a, a podcast with Mike Green about this very subject. Oh, wow. Mike Green. <laughs> oh, really? Has, has forgotten more about this than most people will ever know. Oh yeah, brain the size um, of Jupiter. Yeah. And when you hear him explain it. It all makes perfect sense, as I say. But it's a two-sided coin, and it and it's come up heads every day for ten years in a row. Uh, chances are, the first time it comes up, tails won't be the last, and that will be the start of a very different pattern. But we've yet to experience that. Yeah. Anyway, as you say, I think that I think that's beyond what we're talking about here. So um, I'll just finish with something very, very simple, you know, and, and other news. Wrexham hasn't gone unnoticed by our friends across in the celebrity pond in Hollywood. Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, is now looking at the basket case football club that is Southend United. Um, oh, jeez, is he? Yeah. Oh, Together God. with uh, Ray Winston. I may be wrong on that. Probably not wrong. But I think there's the two of them. And, okay. you know... You know what it's like. People see a formula that works. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and it's the same playbook. You know, there'll be a documentary in the back of it. Same playbook. Is that Luton, the glory of the working man's football club community? Mm, it's complex, isn't it? No, look, look, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And, you know, again, I would draw your attention to the kind of, quote-unquote, superstar Dwayne The Rock Johnson is. He is a very self-deprecating guy. Right, he makes fun of his wrestling background, of his, you know, oh, I'm just a muscly guy. He he's got the right personality, the same as McElhenney and Reynolds. Do, Reynolds, yeah, to, You're right. to make it work, right? And Ray Winston is as man of the people as you could perfect. possibly get. Perfect, he's perfect, yeah. So you know, there's a chance they could do it, but you know, you you bring in, put it this way: if the Kardashians were about to buy your club, then you know, <laughs> right? You know how that's going to end. <laughs> But that would be great TV. Come on. For you. you remember, well, remember when you put me on Ted Lasso at the start and you said you need to watch this and I watched the first episode and I said, it disappointed me because I thought it was going to be perfect. You know, this woman coming in and like speaking to all the old timers and the boot room and that's, that's what I think the Kardashians taking off Glasgow Rangers. Can, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Rog, if you wish it hard enough, maybe you can yes. make it happen. <laughs> Build it and they will come. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Oh, dear. All right, matey. Well, that's it. The hour has once again flown by. Thanks to Rog for uh, some excellent goals and own goals, as always. But most of all, obviously, our thanks to you out there for listening to us. Uh, we appreciate each and every one of you. If you don't follow us already, that's a very simple thing to remedy. You'll find us on Twitter at EntertainedR, the word A-R-E there. You can find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can find me at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Until next time, my friend. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for all that. Thanks for all that.